Have you ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound a little too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. Good morning, everyone. It's Tuesday, December 12th. I'm John Weigel here with Rob Litterst, and this is The Hustle Daily Show. The big news today is that ex-WeWork CEO Adam Newman's new startup, Flow, is just beginning to take shape in the form of apartment buildings. We'll chat about this new business and if it has a chance to pan out a little better than WeWork. But before we get there, let's get you up to speed with everything else making headlines in the world of business and tech today. Kicking us off, a few weeks fresh out of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Arc House Management and Brigade Capital Management submitted a $5.8 billion offer to buy Macy's. The deal would turn the retail chain, which includes 500 Macy's department stores, as well as Bloomingdale stores, into a private company. Insane that that's coming right after the Thanksgiving Parade, but who knows? Maybe we'll go into 2024 and Macy's will be private. Next up, Boeing appointed Stephanie Pope to its newly created chief operating officer role. The move makes Pope, a company employee of nearly 30 years at Boeing, a top contender as the company's next CEO. So keep your eyes on Stephanie. Big things coming, it seems like. Next in TikTok news, TikTok is throwing its weight around and is investing $1.5 billion in Indonesia's go-to Gojek Tokopedia to become the controlling shareholder of the tech company's online shopping arm. Now, I knew I just throw a lot of words at you, but the company of Gojek, as it's normally called in Indonesia, is essentially the equivalent of an Uber here. Kind of a full service app that does it all tech wise, delivers food, delivers items, takes you places. There's even like a Gojek motorcycle that you can hop on. The investment comes after Indonesia banned social media app shopping in October, forcing TikTok shop to shutter in the country, which means that now TikTok is looking to get back into the Indonesian market, which is just a massive market. They're looking to get in there heavy. Next up in AI news, the AI race is in no way just US-centric right now. Mistral AI, France's OpenAI competitor, closed a $415 million Series A funding round, reaching about $2 billion in valuation. It also opened its developer platform, allowing companies to use its models via APIs for free. So they just got a Krispy Kreme last week. So I mean, France, sky's the limit. And if you've been putting off becoming a member of Soho House, now is the time, ladies and gentlemen, because they are set to stop accepting new members at their about 20 New York, L.A. and London clubs in 2024 due to overcrowding. 
Memberships at the private clubs can cost about $5,000 a year. Rob, you ever peeked inside a Soho house? I never have. I wish I had more to offer here. I've never been to a Soho house. I don't think I'm cool enough to go to a Soho house. (laughs) Honestly, I think this is genius for them. It's just their whole thing is exclusivity. I wonder if this is a marketing ploy or if it's something that was member driven where they were like, there are just too many people in here and we need less people. It could definitely be the latter. It could definitely be the members being uproarious about, oh, well, the secret's out. Everybody knows what this is. Everybody knows how to get in and anybody can be a member. And I think what you hit on earlier, the exclusivity is the big deal about them. Because, for example, I've been living in New York City for at least six or seven years. I have no idea where the Soho house even is any of the locations. I just don't know. The only time that I've seen them was on an episode of Sex in the City one time. And that was it. They were just at a pool there. So I really don't know much about it at all. Yeah, I'm sure there will be more to come here. I think one thing that a lot of community type businesses and club type businesses get wrong is scaling too much and trying to go too big. And so I actually like this play for Soho House. I think it makes their value prop stronger. I think if you kind of limit the amount of people that can come in and you make the services really, really good there, then you can raise prices, becomes an even more elite club. And as far as their business and their value proposition, it makes sense for them to kind of tighten the reins on how many people can get in. Yeah, exactly. So keep guys like Rob and I out. We just mess up the vibe. <laughs> you don't want us there. Yeah. All right. And finally, our last bit of news before our main story, Netflix added another live sporting event to its lineup. It's going to be a tennis match between Rafael Nadal and Carlos Alcaraz. The Netflix Slam, it's being called, will broadcast live from Vegas in March. It's going to feature additional matchups before the Spanish tennis stars take the court. Something like this is really cool, but it also really points to streaming companies moving in on the live sports space even further. Yeah. Oh, it's really cool. I think Netflix has been dipping its toes very, very slowly in sports. It seems like they have a very specific strategy here. Like they're really going for kind of big big event style sports matches, which is really smart. And they're not the first subscription entertainment company to do this. If you remember to way back in the day, HBO has been doing this forever. They've had boxing matches and some other things that have kind of been interspersed around their prestige shows and content to keep people subscribed even after their big show ends. The classic like, oh, Game of Thrones is over. Like, I guess I'm going to unsubscribe from HBO. Well, if there's a boxing match that's coming up that you really want to see, then maybe you'll stay subscribed. I honestly think this event strategy is super smart for Netflix. I'm excited to see where they go from here for sure. Yeah. The game that they picked is great. I mean, Nadal, the best in like generations versus Carlos Alcaraz, the best of like a new generation. They're both from Spain, very accomplished both in their own right. So it should be just a a hell of a game. Yeah. These kind of novelty matches like what Netflix is doing here are cool. And I feel like they're a fun like entree into sports, but I'm excited to see where they go with it from here and if they can evolve it to bringing bigger events down the road. Totally. That's coming out in March. So I'll be watching. All right, now on to our big story of the day. It involves Adam Newman, the ex-WeWork CEO, and his new startup called Flow. The initial investment has been in the oven for almost two years at this point. And Rob, what did that amount to right now? What did that give us? Yeah, so the initial investment was a big one. So A16Z gave its biggest check, which ended up being $350 million to Adam Newman to create Flow, this new apartment startup. And essentially, I think so far it's yielded one property. Yes. A 369 unit property called Society Las Olas, which means Society the Waves in Spanish. 
and it launched in Fort Lauderdale. So it's one of six buildings yes. that Newman paid a billion dollars for in 2021. And it seems to be kind of his pilot concept of Flow, which is his new startup following, obviously, the downward spiral that he created at WeWork. The very public downward spiral very public. Uh, at WeWork, yes. Yeah. And you could see why over the maybe the past year or year and a half, he's kind of been laying a bit low, yeah. building this one kind of from the trenches a little bit. This building in Fort Lauderdale is the first one to receive the Flow branding. So it has over 600 units in the building. So they're massive. And he has five more. Yeah. So he seems to be rolling this out a bit slowly, but, you know, it seems to be working. Yeah. I mean, looking back on Adam Newman, it feels like he got off very, very easily for everything that happened at WeWork. Yeah. There were all these red flags about him, like self-dealing and all of these weird things that were in his name that just like did not seem like things that should have been in his name. Mm -hmm. He got away pretty unscathed. I mean, I think he exited with like a billion dollars. I mean, obviously he took a PR beating when people were talking about WeWork and what happened there. The thing about flow that I don't really understand is there is some of that same kind of like wishy-washy messaging about what this company is doing that existed at WeWork. I think if Adam Newman had just kept a messaging of what WeWork does really simple and didn't try to go into this, oh, we're going to like change your life and we're going to be this new community for the world. And if he had just kind of focused on the fact that it's like collaborative workspaces for people that are like working remotely or want to go somewhere other than working from home, I think WeWork could have been a really good business. Obviously, the pandemic kind of rattled that. But it was a lot of this strange, like wooey messaging that was going on about WeWork that I think kind of turned some people off. And there is definitely some of that going on at Flow. Yeah, you definitely notice. I mean, in this Business Insider article, Ben Bergman, the writer, went to the Flow building to check it out and gave intel on it. And a lot of his descriptions really echo of a WeWorkification of an apartment building, making it more open, more social remodeling a lot of places, having like a poolside place, having like fitness classes next to a revamped gym around like where people do yoga in the afternoons, concierge staff. So, I mean, it really sounds kind of like this building is becoming a we work, but also a place to live. Yeah. So a we live. Yeah. Yeah. We live. <laughs> to your point, like everything that you just listed is kind of table stakes, I think, for any modern apartment building, right? For sure. Obviously, like not all apartment buildings have restaurants, but that's not uncommon. A concierge staff, an app that residents can use to communicate, that's definitely interesting. But at the end of the day, like I don't think that's the craziest differentiator from, say, just having email threads. Yes. I struggle to really see like how he's differentiating here and how this goes beyond just really cool modern apartment complexes. And if that's all it is, then that's totally cool. Yeah. I honestly think that could be a really good business. Is it just a modern apartment complex? Like, sure, that's a great business. A lot of great apartment complexes have been popping up everywhere. Right. Is it that or is it this is a revolutionary new thing that you've never seen before and that's going to unite us all in community? Yeah. It's, it's really like you're not sure where the branding lies. Yeah, not 100% sure. And I mean, I think there is something I saw about residents somehow getting some sort of equity in flow, which obviously doesn't happen with a typical apartment complex, yes. but it's not entirely clear how that works and if it's even happening so far with this first property. So I'm not really sure where that's going, but obviously that would be a difference as well. Like if your residents are actually getting equity in the apartment. That's an interesting model, but I also don't really understand how that would work if they're renting. Yeah. And speaking of renting, what's the price on this monthly? It's actually not as high as you would think. So a one bed at Las Olas is 2100 
which is only a little bit more than the average at Fort Lauderdale for a one bed, which is two grand. Hmm. So really like right in line with the rest of the market, which is interesting. You would think they would try to go for a premium market if they're providing all of these novel services. But maybe what we're seeing here is that they are well aware that they're not offering anything incredibly new. I don't know, 2K a month average sounds quite a lot to me, surprisingly, for Fort yeah, Lauderdale. Yeah, I, I can't profess to be uh, fluent in Fort Lauderdale real estate either. <laughs> Who knows? This real estate market has been pretty tough, I think. And so yeah. it doesn't surprise me that the prices are pretty high, but definitely interesting to me that they're not going for a more upmarket or kind of premium crowd, I guess. Yeah. Also, let's keep in mind, this is the first building with the Flow branding. They're still testing it out, it seems. It's kind of a slow churn a bit. So we'll see if any of these pop up in the near future, and we will let you know. All right. And that'll do it for us today, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We are a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, everybody, let me tell you about this great podcast that's available right now. Creator Science, hosted by Jay Klaus, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, which is the audio destination for business professionals. Creator Science goes behind the scenes with today's top creators. Through narrative interviews, Jay Klaus explores how creators like Tim Urban, James Clear, Tori Dunlap, and Cody Sanchez are building their audiences today. And by learning how these creators make a living with their art and creativity, Creator Science can help you gain tools and confidence to do exactly the same. I was actually listening to an episode recently where Jay had on Dr. K, who is a Harvard psychiatrist. And Dr. K helps a lot of creators with performance, burnout, and dealing with a lot of negative feedback online. It's a great hour of conversation with Dr. K, where Dr. K really breaks down what it means to be a creator today and the burnout that a lot of creators do experience and what to do when you get that burnout, because you will. And you can listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts, and I definitely suggest it. Listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts.